Offshoot series of the Economical Rice podcast designed for podcast fans and brought to you by podcast fans. I'm your host Danny and today's special guest is my longtime friend and army batchmate Ashraf Johari. Ashraf, welcome to the show. Hi, hi Danny. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so Ashraf, uh, we recently attended a friend's wedding, right? Yep. And then we, we came to a realization that we've actually known each other for quite a while. How long has it been exactly? I think it's been around uh, seven years. Seven, yeah. seven, seven, eight years actually. Eight years. Eight, right, eight right. years, right? Yep. All the way back from uh, from the army days. Yeah, good times, yes. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so, so a little bit of backstory, right? So, our, our army unit, right, where we first met is actually a pretty interesting. Do you want to describe what it's all about? Um. Uh, are we still? Uh, is it still a confidential? <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, <laughs> I think we are. We are. We are way past that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't really care at this point already. <laughs> yeah, I think no one does. Okay, but anyway, uh, so Danny and I, we used to be uh combat medics, but we uh we are from well, you may call it like a special vocation. So what we used to do is we used to uh be specially trained in uh, chemical warfare. So we are like uh, chemical warfare medics, if you may put it. Uh, bluntly. Yeah. So, yeah, our training regime is, uh, you know, we are like typical medics, but we have like a additional specialty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then also, also, uh, just to point out that, um, so the thing about like be- being trained for like the chemically, uh, the chemical stuff, right? Being ready for that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that involves like a lot of the suit training and wearing like the, what they call the mop for suit. So the kind of, the yep. kind of picture that, right? It's like the typical hazmat suit, but you see that you see in like the TV shows and movies. Except that it's full camo, and it's hot as hell. It's <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Dude, come on, we had a, we have like we had the added bonus of like training in 34, 32 to thirty three degree. You know, yeah. weather is hot and humid and all, so it's it's quite terrible. Yeah, yeah, and and to this to this day, I still don't know how we survived that because I because I I know other units go through a lot of shit and and they and and they go yeah. through a lot of physical training, but. Yep. We were, I think it was like every, every day or every other day, we would go out and we would go and actually run or do like a uh, physical training in these, uh, these suits. And yep. then we had to wear the gut, the, the, the mask, the mask on top as well. And yep. oh my god, the mask is just disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's passed down from, you know, batch to batch. So we don't know how many people have like, you know, yeah. a previous batches have worn it. We don't know like whether it has been cleaned thoroughly. But you know, when we were going through that training, I think, that is sort of like the least of our concerns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So other than, uh, the training aside, right? So during that period, I remember that we, uh, no, we, we, we bonded because we were from the same platoon. And so we used to hang out. We used to go through a lot of the same training together and stuff like that. But then also yep. that we shared uh, a particular love for, for music as well, right? Yeah. I think that was sort of. Actually, that was the main reason as to why we sort of became close even like after army because we didn't realize that we had the same interests. We have not had. We have the same interests in uh music. Yeah. So it was it was it was quite nice, you know, like uh, knowing someone like just uh beyond the fact that he's your you know army mate or something. So having common interests definitely helped us. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, maintain that friendship throughout the years. Yeah, so. yeah. We uh we we also went for a few shows which and also and also because yeah. perhaps like the some of our, our music tastes were a bit more eclectic. Edgy, <laughs> edgy. Yeah, that's like that's like that's the word that you know kids like to use nowadays. Yeah, yeah. As in like as in like I was into a lot of the the post rock, uh, math rock, yeah. uh, emo stuff. You were also digging into yeah. the same things, but you you went into I think a little bit more of the the harder stuff as well that I couldn't. Yeah, that, that. I I just couldn't get into that kind of stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's sort of like uh, that's that's the thing about music fans, you know. It's like uh, I think I think we are at this stage whereby like. You know, we just we just like what we like. You know, we don't really uh, wanna sort of impose on others. You know, if you like this, eh, we have it. Like, if you have a shared interest in a specific genre, then you know that's cool. Yeah. You know, if you if you like this and you don't, or you don't like this, then it's cool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so then, uh, I'm I'm curious, right? I know that yep. you're still you still currently listen to a lot of music. Uh, whereas yep. nowadays I've sort of uh, moved. I'm I'm not as intense as I was back. Back then, seven eight years ago, uh, yep. so I was wondering how how did you start start getting into like podcasts and stuff like that, starting to getting listening to them. Uh, podcasts, yeah. So podcasts, like I have like um other than you, I have like a couple of other friends, mm. like close friends of mine that uh also listen to podcasts. But sometimes the topic just like comes out of the blue, you know, like maybe like a friend will just be talking randomly about like or he's just making reference they say making reference about a certain podcast then mm. I'll be like hey, oh, hey you know I also listen to podcasts so yeah then we just continue down that road lah, yeah uh, talking about it yeah, yeah. At, at, at this stage of uh, sort of like the, the, the scene in Singapore right it really feels like when yeah. <laughs> when 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 you meet someone and they tell you that they listen to podcasts as well, it's really kind of like you know uh, like like similar yeah. with music like it's like sharing that same genre or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as compared to my interest in music, I'm still a relatively new, like, podcast fan. You know, mm. like, I've not sort of done a deep dive really, but there are some favorites lah, so far that I have that I always find myself going back to listening, especially yeah. at work and stuff where you just sort of like need something, uh, product, uh, some, something to accompany your work. Uh. Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that, is that where you normally listen to podcasts at work? Um, yeah, some, some, sometimes I, I do, but mm. like, it, it, it sort of have to depend on like the kind of what I'm doing. You know, because the thing about yeah. the difference between podcast and music is that like, um, you need to have sort of like, uh, you need to concentrate more on podcasts. Yeah, on, on, yeah. on listening to like the topics because like people are actually talking. So yeah. if I'm doing like sort of those kind of mindless work, then maybe <laughs> listening to podcasts will be better because I can, you know, devote more of my attention to listening to the contents of the podcast. If I'm doing something that requires me to think more, then I'll probably listen to music because I can just have the, you know, the music play in the background. Alright, so let's uh, get to the point of the show then, which is to introduce two uh, podcasts here. And you have picked two, I would say, amazing choices. And then the first you have introduced, which is Freakonomics. Yep, right? Freakonomics. Yep, and the episode you have uh, shared with us today is In Praise of Maintenance. So, uh, could you tell us a little bit about Freakonomics and, you know, maybe why you like the show and stuff like that? I think uh, when I was... 
you know, just starting to podcast. I think I, I've heard this, like, Freakonomics radio name being thrown around. Yeah. And I think you were the one that recommended me to, to go with this, to start with this. Yeah. And, um, I've, I've heard of the book. I've not read the book yet. Like, mm. I hope I will have time to, like, uh, read the book. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think, uh, because I'm coming in from, I'm coming into podcast and like maybe even like understanding economics as like a layman. Mm. So usually I would think that, um, you know, like topics like this would not even like be on my radar. Mm. But after, um, I gave it like some of the episodes to listen, I was like pretty hooked lah because, you know, they are, they are, re- they really do a deep dive into like a specific topic that people normally would not give a damn about. Like, yeah. yeah Especially something about like the reason why I choose maintenance is that like no one ever talk about it or people don't talk about it casually. Yeah. But to see like you know a bunch of guys just going to a deep dive and really going into like geeky process of trying to understand <laughs> and like analyze maintenance sort of that sort of got me hooked right away. Yeah. I I think uh, to an extent let me just try to so compare it, like with like the the things that I like to do or the like. Like we the the things that we talk about earlier, for example, like music. Mm. You know, like mm. I'm not just a casual like music listener. I really get into like the nitty gritty. Yeah. You know, I try to appreciate it. I try to understand the nuance yeah. of of and the experience of listening to music. So I think this is similar to what the guys at Freakonomics Radio are doing. Mm. And the beauty about Freakonomics Radio is that they they do try their best to make it understandable to you know a layman like me. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and that that last answer, I really love that answer because um, you know, you know, a lot of people have this sort of idea about economics, right? Especially, do do you take do you take economics when you were in JC? Uh, I was forced to. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you like Did you like economics back then? Um, it was, I was barely interested in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, see, that that was my experience as well. Yep. But then um. I don't know how I came across. I, so I read the book first before I before I listened to the podcast, yep. and I was that book was it, it was like drugs, uh, Basically, <laughs> it was like it opened like a whole new world. Because the thing about Freakonomics, right, is that this is not like diagrams and like theorems and and stuff like that. You know, this is not mm. like writing the 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 full like don't know how many page essay, making sure you have all the points. Yep. That is like I think the sort of view of economics that a lot of uh, young younger Singaporeans, especially those who are going through JC and studying economics, I think that's the impression impression that they have. Mm. But the the I think the beauty about Freakonomics and why it has been so successful, it is that they're able to take these concepts, right, all these like abstract theories, and then see how they play out in real life. Yeah. So could you could you describe this uh, this episode then in praise of maintenance and uh, why you decided to pick this one? All right. So um, it's been a while since I got into you know got back into Freakonomics. So mm. like a few months ago, when I was like listening quite intently to it, like yeah. uh, this particular subject caught my attention because it's it's like what I said earlier. It's like a topic that um I like people don't talk about. Mm. And basically, this whole episode in praise of maintenance, they are mm. just talking about. The, the gist of the argument is the discourse between maintenance and innovation. Yeah. So, um, they are saying that, um, maintenance is often not talked about because, you know, in our current society where everyone's like pushing for innovation through like mm. startups and stuff like that, maintenance becomes like a very, uh, unglamorous topic. 
I think in paying more attention to maintenance and maintainers, it's really signaling a shift in values away from glittery new things, consumer culture and those sorts of things, and toward work, towards labor, towards uh, maybe even sacrifice in the form of, of taxes or effort to sustain society, and to pay a little bit more respect to the people whose jobs do that. You know, they're not superstars, they're just grinding it out day to day. Yeah. Uh, because of the amount of work that needs to go into maintenance is people just tend to ignore. Yeah. So much so that, um, you know, they said that innovation sometimes is just a reaction to maintenance because like I don't want to sort of fix something. Yeah. Let me try to come up with a new idea to replace what is sort of broken or what needs maintenance. Well, one of the promises of technology is that it would eliminate the need for much or in some cases all of that kind of handmade maintenance. So if you're talking about something literally like a, a cleaning person, a janitor, someone who comes along to a public restroom in an airport, you know, eight, 12, 15 times a day to clean it up. I think, well, don't I want the much vaunted self-cleaning bathroom that was supposed to be here by now? Yeah, so that's sort of the discourse is quite interesting because uh, we've been, I think, generally here in Singapore, we've been exposed to a lot of like, um, you know, innovation and things like this, like, mm. like smart nation, like yeah. all this sort of. That, that's what they're trying to push, like, like innovation. But sometimes uh, there are a lot of things that are still, you know, going on fine. You know, sometimes we just need to find a way to to fix things. Yeah. But I think a lot of the examples that they give are more like, you know, like... Towards like, uh, infrastructure, like infrastructure. roads, uh, bu- roads uh, what was it called? Like a sewage system and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Like they were even saying about how um, in the Roman times, like yeah. their maintenance system were, f- like, were far more efficient and superior as to what you compare to... Uh, to like modern cities I think they yeah. were comparing like the sewage systems in the Roman cities mm. and the one that they, and they compared to a sewage system in Philippines or something mm, yeah and, and yeah. then that, that sort of caught me a little bit off guard because it's like when you think about like throughout the course of human history you always think that technology of like the 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 as a society we are sort of always forever like you know progressing mm. so you, you always think that okay things will get better things will get more efficient but yeah apparently in in view of like things that need maintenance that's not the case lah. yeah i actually found that uh really interesting too yeah and also i thought the they, they had this point right that was um so because the because free economics is based in u.s so they were using a lot of a lot of american examples but i thought the funny thing was that they actually brought up singapore as an example of a country which gets its maintenance right. Mm. Yeah. So, so do you agree with their their sort of assessment? I think in terms of physical maintenance, I think, uh, I think they got it quite right. Hmm. It's like uh, it's hard for you know us Singaporeans to refute that because um, what foreigners get, I mean, the the impressions that foreigners get of Singapore as being like a very clean, efficient like country. Yeah. A lot of it is. It's uh, it's physical. You know, you come down and then you see everything is like Changi Airport, and then yeah. you see like the roads leading out Changi Airport is all nicely trimmed. Yeah. These are in terms of physical maintenance. I think I think we got it down to a T. Mm. So I agree with that. But I think they did mention because of like we have very efficient, uh, very efficient uh, civil service system or something. Yeah. Like we have like a lot of people who are hired and to do the job properly. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's where they got it right. 
Yeah, I, I actually think it's uh, it, it's kind of funny that you brought up the civil servant thing. Yeah, because like if you if you play this episode to, I think some some local guy, maybe your your coffee shop uncle or something. Yeah, and then you you tell them that oh, actually our civil servants are doing very well because yeah. they are keeping Singapore so nice and clean. Yeah, they'll be like, but they're still paid so damn high <laughs> compared yeah. to the rest of us. Yeah, in Singapore we have this. I I don't know, man. I I like like from going through social media and on places like Reddit and stuff like that. Yeah, I I have this impression that a lot of people, uh, don't don't like the idea that our our ministers and stuff are paid so high. But then, in this episode, right, free economics, they're actually trying to argue the case that their work is being underappreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess maybe it's just implying that like a lot of the civil servants in the states are not paid as much as they should be paid. Their focus is more on like uh the private sector and stuff like that. Mm. So I I don't know how well like uh their civil servants are doing over there, but you know like I'm always in a view like I mean we should basically just try to pay people as uh as to what they deserve lah. And maybe mm. if like the civil servants in the states are doing a very good job or trying their best, so maybe they should be, you know, remunerated fairly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They should come down and see the breakdowns, man. <laughs> and then maybe they have, maybe they have I, second I thoughts not, about that. Not a lot of like no, pe- not a lot of people outside of Singapore like they don't realize how how well the, our civil servants are paid. Yeah. So maybe. That will sort of get a bit of a shock, also. Yeah, yeah, that's true, though. And it's um, you know, you're talking about like the how how civil servants are in the states, right? Yep. So I remember also in the episode they were talking about, I think there was this example of a a bridge or something. It was built in like about a year, but yep. then it's been under repair for like four four years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to 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 give a bit of context about you know the state of American um maintenance, it's uh that's uh, that's one classic example. Maybe it's a bit uh too too a, a bit too much to go and say this is a representative of of all kinds of maintenance in America. But yeah, the the kind of story of like you know incompetence of like you know too much uh, redesign, you know too much yeah. uh, red tape or too much bureaucracy. That that is the the American reality, and that's perhaps their frame of context when they when they you know look at Singapore and say, "Wow, it's so so nice and clean there." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't think like in Singapore generally we don't really view maintenance as sort of like the way to go because I yeah. think in terms of maintain like maintaining physical infrastructure, we've reached sort of like a saturation point, and yeah. our population you know it, it continues to keep growing, so we always have to accommodate for that. So that's why we are always trying to push. You know, innovation, not just, yeah. I mean, not just a mark, like in a, in a non, in, in, in a physical sense also. I mean, like we're trying to keep tearing down and building new things again. Mm. We always hear this cliche about how, like, tourists who come to Singapore 10 years ago, when they come back now, you know, it's, it's completely different. Mm. So, so do you think that they're actually, you know, struggling with sort of the, 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 the balance here between like maintenance and like innovating? Or, or is it that you think that they're handling it very well? Mm. Like, I'm, I'm not for one who, I'm not trying to position myself as someone who's, uh, as a nostalgist, for example. Mm. Like, I see there are, like, there are a lot of things that are definitely of, like, historical value mm. that we should maintain or try to keep. Yeah. You know, but, uh, in, in terms of, like, meeting the needs of the population, our ever-growing population, I see that there's, there is a need to innovate, there is a need to sort of accommodate for that. Um, so I think my views are more pragmatic. Mm. You know, uh, I think, 
what what's uh, I think what a lot of people are concerned now is because of yeah I think like what you mentioned because the fact that we are turning fifty three mm. you know I think the idea of like ma- like maintenance is very closely linked to like the building of like our national identity yeah. because like when when people you know when like you know uh, buildings get torn down and stuff like that mm. uh, Singaporeans generally feel like you know that's 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 one thing that's taken away from us, you know. Yeah. And we're still trying to grasp with like the the physical objects that we try, like we we'll hold on to the things that define our national identity. Yeah. For example, things yeah. like the like the Bukit Brown Cemetery and like the Tanjung Pagar Railway Station yeah. and stuff like that. I think recently um, there was the the Pearl Complex or something that was already. Yeah. The was that the one beside Sim Lim Square? I don't know, like uh, yeah. the, the colorful HDB things. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Of course, there, 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 there is a good reason as to why maybe that place needs to be demolished because you need to develop it into something more, you know, economically sound, for example. Mm. But the thing that I don't get is, uh, people being too nostalgic about all these kind of things. For example, like, these people, they don't really care when the building was there. You know, people, yeah. most of us only start to make noise when it's gonna be torn down. Yeah. So, 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 so the question is like, um, yeah, you're not, you're not being genuine in the first initially. So why are you trying to be genuine and being all nostalgic about it when it's going to be torn down? You know, you don't really, like, yeah. I understand if you were formerly a resident there, then you have a lot of like, you know, uh, memories that you, that's going to get left behind. That's perfectly fine. But the, mm. for, for the most, for most of us who are making noise about it, we don't really have any sort of like a emotional connection to any of those places. So I don't see why yeah. like you should totally complain about it, lah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that kind of reminds me of the the whole Oxy Road exactly uh, drama. Exactly, it's like um yeah before before it was put into light, like no one really cares about it. Yeah, exactly. No, no one knew what what that place was, right? Yeah, people just knew it as like a oh it was like Likwani's place. Like people didn't know that it was rich in their family history, but. Well, you know, when you put it into spotlight, then suddenly people become very like nostalgic about it. Yeah. And people feel that it should be, they should be, you know, they should have a hand in the in the decision making. Yeah. You know, whereas like uh, for me, it's as simple as uh, ultimately it's a family matter, right? I think whatever that's to be done to that building should be decided within the Lee family, and I don't, I couldn't care less. Uh. So now let's move on to the second one, and I think this is a fantastic, uh, fantastic podcast they have introduced here, which is Tides of History. Yes. Yeah, and the episode that you have uh, recommended is this one called The Military Revolution, 1350 to 1650. Yep. Right. So 300 you sound excited. Yes. Uh, 300 years yes. to unravel. Yeah. So <laughs> you sound excited. So what can you tell us about this? Okay, so basically, uh, Tides of History is a historical podcast. So uh, yeah. we like uh, the topics covered are mostly like uh medieval warfare you know mm. and i think uh, i'm i'm a huge fan of history mm. but um one thing that i've never really gotten into or haven't uh, done a deep dive into is sort of basically medieval history you mm. know like um i'm very 
um, interested and I read a lot about like 20th century history and I mm. think it's because like I, I used to study history and that was like my favorite subject. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I read a lot. I, I know a lot about like uh, 20th century history and especially all like all, all the wars, but the wars before that, um, I, I, I mean, I've read here and there, you know, sort of like a touch and go on a touch and go basis, but not really going into a, a deep understanding of like uh, how warfare uh, came to be or yeah. you know how 20th uh, century warfare is pretty much uh, influenced by the military revolution that we're going to talk about that goes on yeah. for the for the good half of a bit for from the 1300s to the 1600s yeah are you are you a fan of history <laughs> and warfare yeah 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 i mean um so so the great thing about uh, sort of history, right, is that, um, you know, it, it is really not a field specifically about anything. It's, it's more of just a catalog about different things that are going on mm. at the time. Yep. So, so whenever you, you, you touch into like a histor- historical deep dive into a certain period, you're always going to be looking into different factors, like yep. cultural, social, economical. This is sort of the, the, the thing about History, which I love, is that you get you get so many different angles mm. from just looking at a time period. Yep. And specifically with this episode, right, military history, it's really quite illuminating, lah. Okay, yeah, that's good. Say. That's good to know that yeah, it, <laughs> that you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would have never thought about these kind of things, right? Yeah. Until you until you introduced this to me. Yep. Yeah. So so uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this episode then? So this episode basically um, talks about how uh, within like a course of like 300 years from 1350 to 1650. So this 300 years, right? So basically they highlight, um, I think, three main um, factors mm. as to why it can be defined as a military revolution. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, the, so the three main things are basically um, an increase in the uh, I mean the size of the military and how they grow mm-hmm. and there seems to be a like a new class of uh, professional soldiers mm. they also talk about like uh, the design in the fortifications yeah stuff like that and they also talk about uh, the other factor I think is the basically I think it coincides a lot with also with like the the mass use of like gunpowder and personal firearms yeah so that sort of also influence the military revolution yeah. So I think this is a good primer for anyone who's interested in like uh in warfare and in particular actually um in modern warfare mm. because uh wars would not be fought now if it would if it weren't for you know the advances in uh military tactics and mm. the nature of like the soldiers uh, during this uh period of three hundred years. Yeah. Actually, actually, could you on on that point, right? Could you actually describe like a little bit about what the how what what the format of the podcast actually is? Right. So so it starts off with uh, you know uh, a narrative, mm. right? Like you 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 suddenly thrown into like this uh like you almost suddenly thrown into like the battlefield, mm. and then like you have like the the historian like the the main guy, mm. he he just start, starts to talk about like people fighting. Yeah, stuff like that, and, and it really it it sort of brings you into like the world of of like of media warfare. You're mm. you're thrown into it like almost instantaneously. Yeah, and um and I think that's that's what got me hooked. 
because suddenly I feel like, oh, well, I'm suddenly like in, in this world and then you're just like, he's really describing in great detail as to, you know, how like people fought at that time. Yeah. And then like, uh, there's even bits of production you can hear like, you know, like, uh, the metal bits, like the yeah, clanging and yeah. like people shouting. They're 15 foot pikes, enormous two-handed swords, arquebuses and armor weigh them down. Despite the chill and the mist hanging in the air, sweat pours down their backs. It soaks their brightly colored shirts, striped in red and yellow and blue and white. Cannon fire and the rattle of first hundreds, then thousands of firearms rises in the distance. The morning mist swirls ahead of them, but they catch glimpses. So I think that's, in terms of format, it, it draws the listener quite instantaneously. Yeah. And yeah. I think, and from then onwards, when he starts to, you know, talk about like the factors behind the military revolution, I think he, he also pays the, his, uh, points really well. Mm. So it's easy to grasp, you know, like all these, uh, things that he's sharing and yeah. the, 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 disc, uh, the factors that he's talking about. Yeah. 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 When, when, when I first started listening also, I was really quite, Caught, caught, as like you said, like, it really draws you in at the start because they don't do like a, a normal opening, like a theme song. Then after you start, you start uh, talking, introducing a topic. Yeah. So what they do is like they do this sort of a uh, narrative co-open. They make it very dramatic. Yeah. It's like he's like he's this, so so the the host right. His name is Patrick yeah. Wyman. So he's mm. like over there narrating, describing the scene, you know, talking about all these uh, soldiers, like the armor they're wearing, the color, what they're doing. And then suddenly they're going to battle and stuff like that. And then it's like, oh, this is, this is the, the military revolution and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I thought when he actually does go into the stuff, right? He really, really does a deep dive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like he really, really needs nothing to chance. Like at, at the intro, right? He was just making, he was making this point about saying how, you know, um, he, he has this issue with, uh, how a lot of mainstream uh, people who tell history, right? How how yeah. they tell history, the way that they tell history, especially wars, it gives a little bit too much credit to like the 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 big the generals, battles, yeah, and the, the battles, the, yeah, the big battles and stuff like that. So you know, he was saying something like, "Oh, uh, people always think like these big battles are the ones that settle wars, right? Yeah. But actually, it's more of like the, all the little little skirmishes or the little changes in innovations in technology and stuff like that yeah. that happen." Which I thought was, uh, was, was really nice, uh, because he's not like those, those, uh, mainstream his, history channels just trying to like draw in a crowd or draw attention, but yeah. he wants to actually tell more of like the, the truth, right? Yeah, yeah, even the stories that he shares, uh, I mean, are quite personal. I mean, like he, like his research is so good, like I, I mm. think he, when you were talking about like the, the mercenaries or the contract soldiers, mm, he even yes. like mentions their name and like when do they serve. This was true for all ranks of society. This isn't that surprising for aristocratic or knightly men-at-arms, the heavily armed and armored fellas we imagine when we think of medieval warfare. The authors call them a socio-professional military group. That means the social status of these men-at-arms was tied up with a military identity. To be a noble meant that fighting was part of who you were, and there were plenty of opportunities for that. For example, between 1372 and 1399, one man-at-arms named John Merlin served in France, at sea, in the garrison of the city of Calais, and in Ireland. I think 
he adds sort of like a very personal angle into history. And this is not even talking about like recent history. This is talking about like medieval history. Yeah. You know, he, he, he actually describes like who, you know, who, the person and, you know, where he came from, where yeah. the, the date of when he served. Yeah. So I think uh, adding a personal angle to history yeah. is sort of like a very, it's a refreshing take because yeah. like how we are being educated in history mm. is, uh, is that we are always being described only like sort of like the event, the major events and stuff mm. like that. It's easier for us to sort of dissect, but like there's not a lot of new ones to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's actually a very uh, interesting point that you brought up because uh, I, I sort of realized that as well. Uh, when you're talking about it, you know, you're talking about how he sort of like introduced like, like actual real life people, right? Uh, and tells, and tells their story. So this way of sort of consuming history is, is very much personal. It's like a POV kind of a, a way of taking it in, like uh. a point of view style. Yep. And then, and then also, and also like the final that, that throughout the episode, right? He has this writing style whereby whenever he talks about, he, he, sh- whenever he makes like a general point, I think some of the points you also follow up with, with, with stuff, with something like, oh, uh, you can imagine you, if you put yourself in this scenario, or you can imagine if you put yourself in that scenario. Mm. I think that's also a sort of, some, um, I think, I, I don't know if it's like his writing style, or maybe he's actually picked up on this, but I, I think that really also helps the listener get into, get into his stuff also. Yeah. I, I think he really makes an effort to talk about like the individuals. That mm. are involved, like in the in, in this bigger picture, because I mean, ultimately we are talking about like three hundred years here. So the fact that he still managed to, you know, uh, bring out certain—they're not even like key characters, you know. They're not even yeah. like that's that's a, a beauty. It's like he's not even talking about like the, the 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 general who made like that decisive decision in a yeah. specific battle. No, he's yeah, just exactly. talking about a specific mercenary who just R- happened to be there. Joe, right? Right, like a random <laughs> Joe. It's like like who the hell is this person? I probably you like. He probably don't have his name in like a Wikipedia entry or something. He's probably not that important, but yeah. he used that character to drive the point even further about how like you know you have uh, basically mercenaries serving as like as a professional soldier because it's like the the point of the the comparison he's making is that like before this um they were using like knights. Knights were like the basically like a noble class who, mm. whose life just revolves around like fighting. Mm. But, uh, you don't have like regular soldiers, that's not even such a term. Mm. You know, but during this, uh, 300 years, mm. um, the kingdoms, they found it like they need, they need to find like sort of more people to fight. So they start to draft contracts for people around like Europe, for example, to, to, to join in their fight. Yeah. I think there was a specific, he talks a little bit about like how, um, because there were no nations back then. Yeah. So basically, um, how you fight is that uh, you'll be given like sort of like a contract by a by a king, you mm. know, and then like you can just join. Mm. Like you don't have to necessarily belong from that kingdom. You just gotta mm. be like interested in it and you just fight. So that's what you get. Yeah, I, I I remember I think there was a particular story about this farmer farmer boy or something, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so is I I don't think it's an actual story, but this is one of his uh, sort of uh, like like just now what I was mentioning about like how he uses the method of drawing the listener in. Uh-huh. So he raises this example of like of like you know why why people would actually be interested to become like a mercenary or stuff like that. Uh-huh. Let's say you're the second son of a middling farmer in the English countryside, maybe in Cheshire. You grow up learning to pull a bow. 
It's required by law, and you're out there at the village archery butts at least a couple of times every week. Maybe you're good at it. Now, the year is 1415. You're an adventurous young man, and the king is putting together an expedition to France. Practically all the men of your social status, middling farmers, yeomen, in your village have served as an archer at least once or twice, either for the money or just to get away from home. The campaign is a great success, and you win a smashing victory at the Battle of Agincourt. A bunch of your friends return home afterward, but you stay on to serve in a garrison in Normandy. You do it again, and then again. You go home once or twice, but since you're the second son, you're not going to inherit the family farm when your father dies. Soldiering suits you. It's better pay than you'd get as a laborer, and it's more fun than farming. You sign on to a few more expeditions and serve in a few more garrisons. The next thing you know, it's 1445, 30 years after your first expedition, and you spent. And then after, and, and then when you win the battle, and then you come back, you decide to follow the king and become like one of his militia because yeah. you think it, you think it's actually a better option than just staying on and doing farm work, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's it's really it's really a nice nice touch like, that he has. Yeah. You know? I think is him describing that in that way it allows us to it gives us sort of a better understanding of like how pretty much uh teens of that era and like teens of uh, in this current day age it's like there's not a lot of difference in and in a sense that they are all like sort of impressionable teens they just want to find somewhere to belong and they just want to be cool mm. so if being cool means being part of like the king's militia then why not you know <laughs> yeah so i think that's i mean that's that's how Teenagers basically uh, behave. Yeah. So, so that's that's where that's that's why I, I thought that that point that he made was quite interesting because like I look at how teenagers behave now and it's all, not at all different. Yeah. You know, it's just like the circumstances are all uh uh different, of course, but like uh how they behave and like how they tend to want to be cool. You know, it's sort of like the same thing, really. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's it's uh yeah it's 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 really it's really funny you said that because um. You know, Freakonomics is like all about like economics, right? And a lot of yeah. their focus is on like uh, microeconomics or or more of sort of personal decisions, uh, why individuals choose to do certain things. Mm. So I think I remember that um, one of the writers, original authors of Freakonomics, I think it's uh, Stephen Duck, Stephen Levitt, Stephen Levitt, yeah. So mm. Levitt always makes this point that um, what Freakonomics will show is that incentives matter so so yeah. it's like yeah when you're talking about that right and then you bring up this idea about like teenagers want to be cool yeah. except that you know now it's a different circumstance so it's like it's like it's like a really nice way of, of bringing this sort of like little facet of economics that that you know when, when you when you want when you want to try and understand why people do things right you have to yeah. uh looking at, incent- at their incentives is one way of doing it la. Yeah. yeah of course like now when you're looking at it from from today's perspective right when you're given so much, uh, a wide array of options of things you can do as your career, then yeah, you know, being like a mercenary is, it seems a bit weird, right? I mean, mm. like you can, you can go out and, uh, you know, be like a, like a computer scientist, you can be like a lawyer, doctor, whatever. You know, why would you go and do that when you could risk your life and do it? But back in those days, your options were farming, starving, or, you know, joining the military, <laughs> joining yeah. the military. Yeah. But I, I think you can still find like some of these examples nowadays. You know, like, I mean, we still have like, uh, this kind of proxy wars going around and like, 
even in the Middle East, you know, it's like uh, mm. if 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 you read about it, like a lot of these kids who join like terrorist groups and stuff like that, mm. you know, they don't have much choice because it's either you are just, um, you know, either you 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 rear goats or you <laughs> <laughs> join a bunch of cool guys with guns. <laughs> so I think they would rather take the 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 latter because it's like um, a lot of these people they don't really. Like in terms of all these like terrorists or all these fighters yeah. and stuff like that, they don't really believe what they believe in, you know, and they just they just want to be cool. They just want to hold a gun and start shooting. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of these younger guys who join all these uh, terrorist groups and stuff like that. Yeah. So in in the past, I guess it's quite similar because it's like you suddenly see a bunch of soldiers, you know, like uh, riding past your village like with like bow and arrows and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, who wouldn't be awed by that? Like, yeah. you know. Teens, uh, teenagers are very impressionable, so they see it once and they they think that okay, this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah, I don't I don't have to I don't have to feed the chickens anymore. Okay, I'm yeah, I don't have to feed. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you can you can ask my little brother or whoever <laughs> to, to do it. Like I'm off, I'm gonna fight. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's it it attracts uh, <laughs> teenagers now and then also. I yeah, guess. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, when you when you put it in that context, right? This yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, it, it feels a little bit sad to think about there's actually people in this day and age, day and age, that have to face these kind of circumstances that they would oh. rather, that, that, you know, joining like a, a terrorist group is like, it seems like a better option to them, right? Yeah, yeah. because the situations are so dire that joining a terrorist group that, that, that is actually like the better option. Yeah. So that, that's, that's sort of like, of course, that's sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really, really, uh, puts things into, into his perspective here. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, anyway, I think, I think that will just about, uh, do it for today's show. So with that, uh, brings the end to today's episode. Thanks again, uh, Ashra for coming on. All right. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. I think it's, it's sort of like my first ever podcast appearance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel quite honored, actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I mean, like, um, yeah, I felt like uh I I should bring you on uh, because because you know I've been trying to uh work up with like new designs for the Economic Rise podcast and then when I was talking about it with uh, Ashraf he was kind enough to suggest that he could he could help in a bit so I was like you know uh <laughs> maybe I could bring yep. you in bring you in more into the world of podcasts. Uh. Yeah, I guess it's just one uh, like another avenue for us to sort of maintain our friendship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the way I see it. I mean because you introduced me as a friend at the start so yeah, you know why not we reiterate re- 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 that yeah. in the end. <laughs> running theme of the show, running motif. Yeah, the running right? theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's a it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Yeah, right, yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, Kenny. yeah. All right, so if you like this episode, uh, please do a big favor by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing to the Economical Rice podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. All the links and details to the show discussed in this episode will be available in the show notes on the website www.economicalricepodcast.com. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback for the show, you can drop an email on the social media links below. Once again, this has been your host, Danny, with special guest Ashraf at the Podcast Spotlight, the show by podcast fans for podcast fans. 